Welcome to Campfire Football. Second day back after two weeks out. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, who didn't hear my episode yesterday, I explained that uh, I have been gone for two weeks, podcast on hold, because I had a computer failure. My computer died. So I lost a lot of data, like I said, and um, yep, yeah, it's been a whole process to get myself back up and running, but I am. And yesterday I talked about how probably the biggest news to occur while I was gone was Frank Lampard being sacked as Chelsea manager. And as a Chelsea fan, it was a really interesting time because my knee-jerk reactions, the emotions that I had about it, because I didn't like it, it was sore for me. I was frustrated and upset about it. But instead of being able to go and make an episode about it, I kind of just had to process it all myself, which is probably good because I didn't come out and go and make an episode saying a bunch of things that not necessarily that I would have regretted but things that needed a little bit of time and a little bit of time in the wash to really sort out and let a little bit of dust settle so I'm actually happy and grateful that I got that time and that Thomas Tuchel has now had three games in charge for me to take a look at what happened what was the reason for the sacking really taking getting a big picture look at it and then, what's the future? What are we going to see from Thomas Tuchel? So, this is just a Chelsea fan giving you, if you don't, if you're not a Chelsea fan or you don't really care or see the perspective that Chelsea fans have on this, I'm just going to go ahead and try and give you the my own opinion and maybe some window into what it's like for a lot of people, what this was like for a lot of people. So, like I said, I didn't enjoy this. It hurt. Uh, Frank Lampard is a legend at Chelsea. He's also a player who when in his days was a big, was an idol of mine. I mean, I really idolized Frank Lampard the way he played. I played the same position growing up. Uh, I had similar types of attributes. I wasn't really fast. I was kind of like him in a lot of ways. And uh, he was just such a great example of what you can accomplish as a midfielder and not have any qualities that people look at and go, wow. Because that was the thing about Frank Lampard. His... His uh, road in the game was filled with questions of nepotence and of the fact of nepotism and the fact that maybe, just maybe, he only was a professional because his father was and Harry Redknapp's his uncle. And he had to overcome a lot. And in the Abramovich era, he cemented his place as a Chelsea legend despite not having been signed in the Abramovich era. He was left over from the originals. And he worked himself to never be dropped from that team. Andre Villas-Boas was the first one to actually start dropping Frank Lampard. That did not go well. Didn't go well. There's also some people who suggest that uh, Frank Lampard was part of the reason AVB got fired. But if you're a Chelsea fan, that season where Villas-Boas was in charge was so frustrating because he was benching Drogba, he was benching Lampard, he was benching a bunch of the veterans that were important to the team in order to play different players that he liked and try a new style. And it was not working. And eventually he gets sacked. Di Matteo comes in, puts in all the starters and we win the champions league. So Di Matteo becomes legendary status again, not just as a player, but now as a coach for Chelsea, he lasted until October, right? That was hard for Chelsea fans. You got a club legend who's won the who's delivered the Champions League as a caretaker manager, basically. Once he's given the job full time, he's only in it for like two or three months, and then he's just gone. And they bring in Rafa Benitez, who 
Again, if you're a Chelsea fan, you didn't like Rafa Benitez. In the same way that if you're a fan of a lot of clubs, you don't like Jose Mourinho. He was the anti, he was your enemy. And Benitez was kind of the enemy because of his time at Liverpool. So, you know, you just never felt good as a Chelsea fan when it came to these sackings sometimes. A coach would come in. When Mourinho came back, we were like, oh. My God, this is maybe the moment. Maybe Mourinho's going to know how to actually build a dynasty here at Chelsea. For two years, it looked like it was going in the right direction. And then it all fell apart spectacularly in his third season. And then he gets sacked. Since then, Chelsea, they, they got goose hitting to come in and finish out the season. But then it was Antonio Conte who was brought in to a fair bit of fanfare because he had done well with Italy and with Juventus. But the way he was on the sidelines, the way he dove into the crowd when when goals were scored, people really gravitated and loved Antonio Conte the way he was, especially during that first season. But the grumpiness and the gloominess and sort of just the signs of total resignation because of his relationship with the board in the second season just left a bad taste in your mouth. You're kind of like, man, like you did so well last season. Stop pouting. Get things going again. Like, we like you. What are you doing? Then he leaves at the end of the season. They bring in Mauricio Sarri. And he was never liked by the Chelsea fans. He was never liked by any of us because he he really did have a style that was boring to watch. He moved N'Golo Conte out of his best position. He puts Jorginho in there who never passes a ball forward all season. Then he leaves at the end of the season. So now, as Chelsea fans, we're like, who on earth are we going to get now? We've scraped the barrel. Who on earth is available? And who's going to come now that we have a transfer ban? Frank Lampard had just had a great season at Derby. And I remember when they didn't get win the playoff final, when they didn't get promoted, that was the ultimate green light for Chelsea to come and get him. Had he made it into the Premier League with Derby, he might have been like, look, I'm already at a club where I'm playing with house money. If I come to Chelsea, it doesn't work that way. But because the club couldn't go and get whoever they wanted, they couldn't get Max Allegri. They couldn't lure Diego Simeone out. They couldn't go and get Zidane. None of these guys would have necessarily wanted to take over the club in that situation knowing the pressure. So Frank Lampard was the ideal candidate. Even to this day, you can almost say that he he went ahead and jumped on a landmine in order for Chelsea to get back to a place where the fans, I think, really, really were excited and appreciative of what was going on. So it's important to remember what Lampard did, right? The good things that he did. I think the first season was a success, reaching the top four after having the transfer ban, but more than anything, the youth revolution. What he did in terms of bringing all these guys in, the amount of debuts he gave, and not just that, these are debuts he gave to Chelsea players who eventually quite quickly got their England debuts, right? Players like Fikayo Tomori, who currently is on loan at AC Milan, top of the table. A year and a half ago, no one no one in the Premier League even really knew who Fikayo Tomori was. Mason Mount has become now key in the Thomas Tuchel era. It's quite clear Tuchel really likes him, and he's earned his stripes under that. And we'll see what happens with the rest of them. But Tammy Abraham's clearly good. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is clearly good. Callum Hudson-Odoi is only still at the club. He's not at Bayern Munich right now because he was given that opportunity and the youth were given that opportunity. You want to know a player who went to Bayern Munich from Chelsea? 
Yeah. Musiella, that kid who's over there now, who they're trying who all the players at Bayern are trying to get to become a German international. He left Chelsea. German Bayern Munich came in, snapped him up when he was 16. Now he's 17. He's getting playing time for them. And it looks like he might choose Germany. Right? So think about if Callum Hudson Adoy had been another one of those situations. If you're a Chelsea fan, what Frank Lampard did with the youth movement was huge because it also set a marker for coaches down the line. It showed clearly that the kids in that academy are good enough to be integrated into the first team, something that coaches for over a decade had hinted, eh, they're good, but they're not quite good enough yet. And we found out that's totally rubbish. The amount of players he's brought in who have performed, done well, and either had to leave like Tariq Lamptey or are on loan and finally really and, and able to really show what they what they've got. That's all because of Frank Lampard. And so, you know, he could have easily just started bringing back players like Timo Bakayoko and David Zapacosta and anyone who was on loan. He could have brought them back and tried to build an experienced squad. Instead, he went, "Nope, going with the youth. They're going to give us something also because they're good enough." And it's risen the stock of all these players. I mean, if Chelsea want to sell one of their young players, it's not five million to Wolfsburg anymore. It's not eight, ten million to this or that. It's 40, 50 million. And so on on an equity level for the club, he did so much good. Now, on to the reasons why he was in the end sacked, because we do have to talk about this, obviously. I'm going to start with, first of all, the warning signs from last season. Then I'll talk about five matches that I think were key to him getting sacked. And then I'm going to talk about the money because I think that that was a major storyline in all this. So first off, the warning signs from last season. It was until the very last day of the season that Chelsea were qualifying for the Champions League. They had to beat Wolves at home. And if they won the game, good. Matters were in their own hands. But matters were only in their own hands because Man United and Leicester were playing each other. And the only way Chelsea could not qualify for the Champions League was if they lost to Wolves and the other two drew. So they had this huge advantage that the two rivals that were also trying to get for that fourth spot were playing each other. That was a really big stroke of luck that that was the way it panned out at the end of the season. And also the fact that Wolves and Sheffield in the last four weeks dropped a few points in places where they were no longer in the question for that. On top of that, Arsenal and Spurs were not at the performance level that they needed to be to get into the top four. And so you just sort of felt like, well, I mean, Chelsea were kind of, I guess, best of the rest because Leicester also totally fell off. I mean, really drastically. So you had this slight feeling like we're pretty lucky to actually make it to the top four. But circumstances around, it's a great achievement. The other warning sign was the FA Cup final, which I think... Now that I look back on it with hindsight, that really might have been Frank Lampard's reign as a Chelsea manager encapsulated in one game. Okay, it started pretty exciting. They did really well. They scored a goal in the early goings of the game. There was this excitement about the youthfulness, the 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 exciting play. I said exciting a few too many times here, I guess. Just incisiveness in the play. There was some there was a huge energy around what Chelsea were bringing in that FA Cup final. And I remember a clear moment. There was a tackle in midfield where Chelsea had a chance to break and slowed the attack down and lost the ball. And immediately after that, the entire 
pace of the game, the entire uh, momentum changed in Arsenal's favor. And it kind of just became this back-and-forth match until Arsenal equalized and then eventually took the lead and won. And when you were watching that game, in the end, you were kind of hoping that maybe maybe Tammy will find a way to score. Maybe, maybe someone will do something special. You started to just hope for individuals to pull something out of the bag. And that's sort of how the Lampard era ended, right? I think it started to look like the cohesion and the plan was disappearing and the reliance was on individuals or on flashes of brilliance to find a way to get goals and win. So that was last season's warning signs. Then five matches that I think really sunk Lampard. First of all, it's the Everton loss 1-0 after becoming top of the table, right? Chelsea take take top of the table after beating Leeds, are in a great position. Everything's been going well. There's a long unbeaten run going, but they lose to Everton in a very just insipid performance that was just sloppy. Didn't have enough intensity. It was just, it was drab. They didn't create very many chances, give up a penalty early, and then that was kind of it. You never really got the feeling they were going to score. The next one was the loss to Arsenal, 3-1. You, I mean, this was embarrassing because Arsenal were in total freefall at the time, apparently, and we just gave them three points and a huge morale-boosting performance. Con- conversely, it had the complete opposite impact for Chelsea. It just sunk them even more. Now, there was a few games of trying to rebound from this, but the next loss of the same scoreline, the 3-1 loss to Man City, that was damaging for Lampard in a bigger way, probably more so than the Arsenal game, because this is when he looked like he was completely tactically outmatched by Guardiola. Chelsea, I think, set up wrong. You know, you look at the Man City team sheet, no center forward. Chelsea should have packed the midfield. Instead, N'Golo Conte was sort of left alone to go and run around and chase the ball. And Man City, once they settled in that game after 20 minutes, took complete control, and it looked ugly. It really, really looked bad. And you got this worry because whenever a manager outclasses a Chelsea manager, it's only a matter of time now before Abramovich pulls the trigger. He, I mean, it is, it is always just that close. Game number four was the Leicester loss, 2-0. And... It's funny because Chelsea actually had quite a few opportunities to score goals in this game. But again, it was just flashes. It was just like, oh, wow, they might score. Oh, okay. But it felt like Leicester always were comfortable and in control. And if they needed to get into third or fourth or fifth gear, they would. And so Chelsea just looked vulnerable. Worse yet, the body language was plummeting in that game. So many players looked frustrated, angry, out of sorts. And that is never a good sign, especially when you're being outclassed, not by Man City, but by Leicester City. So that, I think, was really the moment that made them go, talk to Tuchel, find out if he's ready. We're going to bring him in if he's good to go. And I don't think they were going to wait. I think they would have. I think they were just basically waiting on if Tuchel could say yes. But I think as long as he agreed, they were going to bring him in right away. It didn't matter what Chelsea did against Luton, but Chelsea did. Lampard did get to survive the Leicester game and got to play the Luton game. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, he was sacked after a win. That's harsh." Yeah, but if you watch that game, 
Luton were nowhere near good enough to be in the equation of that game whatsoever. Zero of their players would make the entire Chelsea squad. I'm not sure how many of them would make the under-23s. It was that massive of a golfing class, and Chelsea did not just bury them. The first half, they were good, conceded a sloppy goal, but they should have made it 3-4-1 in the first half. Instead, it dragged into the second half, and imagine you're Roman Abramovich. You're watching this game. Frank Lampard is, you're this close to getting rid of him. You're playing Luton at home. You have a 2-1 lead in the FA Cup, and they get a break and almost make it 2-2. At that point, you're thinking to yourself, if they equalize there, do we go on to lose this game? I mean, we're so much better, but do we find a way? Do we contrive a way to lose? I think the board saw that and were like, maybe. And the fact that we are saying that isn't good enough. And so I think that's when, you know, I mean, the decision may have already been made. But if you watch that game which I did, I was like, this is not the type of result you needed. You needed to smash this team 6-0 to keep your job. You didn't. You, you, a narrow 3-1 win was not quite good enough. So those were, those were the matches that I think sunk him. And then we're going to talk about the money because that 200 million pounds is something that has not gone away. It's just been the, one of the biggest talking points ever since. It's been one of the main things that people want to say, this is where Frank Lampard failed. Spend all that money, you have to get a tune out of the players. Well, let's be fair here. Chilwell has been a pretty good signing. I mean, he's a young left back. He looks really good. He's impressed me. I thought Reguillon was going to be a better signing. Chilwell has been perfectly good. Thiago Silva, okay, he's free, but you needed a center back. You needed a leader, and they got one. Hakim Ziyech. No one disagrees that this guy's incredibly talented and very good. And he's already shown a few different times in his, che- in his sh- short Chelsea career that he's going to be a guy who delivers. He's good. Timo Werner. He scored quite a few goals, right, in the early goings, and now is on a horrible run. But his overall record as a player and how he started would suggest that he is, again, not a bad signing. Once he gets out of this rut, maybe he'll really show us more of what he's got. Edu Mendy, you needed a goalkeeper to replace Kepa. Everyone was saying it. You can't win the Premier League with Kepa. You can't. You have to get a goalkeeper. Instead of going and buying Jan Oblak, they go and get Edu Mendy, who no one had really talked or heard about, and it's been of an unmitigated success of a signing, no question. The big one that's been a failure is Kai Havertz. Worse yet, he's the one that cost the bulk of the money. $78 million out of 200 That's a lot on a player who, so far this season, hasn't even proved that he's capable of achieving anything at the highest level. He did for Bayer Leverkusen, but now at Chelsea, he has been simply poor in almost every single game he's played. And I'm not going to judge him because I know he went through coronavirus. The pressure of being a 21-year-old with this kind of price tag, got to be tough. So I'm not going to judge Kai Havertz. What I am going to say is that's probably the reason why Lampard essentially got sacked is because you've got this huge amount of money placed in a player and they're not delivering, right? It's a tough one, though. Lampard wanted Declan Rice. He didn't want Kai Havertz. I mean, I'm not saying he was wholeheartedly against having Kai Havertz in his team, but he wanted Declan Rice. And the club said, no, we don't want to go and sign an academy reject because that'll look bad. 
Well, if you look at Chelsea, there's one position that they are clearly missing somebody, and that is a holding midfielder. That has been one of the major areas that has been a hole. Anytime N'Golo Kante is not in the side, they are porous in that in that area of the field. So, look, I think the transfers, they were good. But the one that didn't work was the most expensive one, and it was probably a club signing instead of a manager signing. So I think those are important things to keep in mind and why Frank Lampard didn't survive. Now, I, again, like I said, I thank Frank Lampard for everything he did. Chelsea fans, we know we can't get emotionally attached to managers. They never last, so you can't love them. Just love the team. Just love the players and wish best to the managers. On that note, I'm going to wish Thomas Tuchel, I'm going to wish Thomas Tuchel some luck here. Um, he's lucky that the fans aren't in the stadium. I think that Lampard is unlucky that the fans weren't as well. But he's lucky that he's got a few games to get things going where he's not under immense pressure from the fans. And I, I think just watching these first three matches, there's been clear improvement from one to the next. The first one worried me. It made me think, oh, gosh, sorry, ball is back. But ever since, much better. I, I, I do think that... He is not going to be able to run away from using young players and using the academy kids because they're good enough. And, you know, it's just it's been nice to see him at least come in, show some personality. And I gained a lot of respect for him the way he's been handling these interviews. The last thing I want to mention is this. What on earth is going on with some of these journalists? I mean, these people are like, oh, you're a vegan. Tell us about it. And he's like, I'm not a vegan. Um, I try to be vegetarian, but it doesn't always work. Like, what are they talking? Like, what? Like, what kind of specimen do you guys think he is? Like, he's a person, you know. They uh, typically English as well. We're like, oh, he's German. He is going to be the one that's going to communicate to Havertz and Rudiger and Werner and make them world class. Guys, they speak English. Frank Lampard had no problems communicating with them. They had no problems understanding. This idea that the German connection is going to be the thing that makes the difference is hilarious and absurd. It just sounds dumb. It's a weird narrative. But the best was this reporter that you guys got to see this video if you haven't seen it. Look it up when he asks the reporter if they're in the right press conference because the reporter said, uh, if you heard about the rumors of Deli Alley going to PSG and what do you think that signing would be for PSG? And he's like, are you in the right press conference? What, like, what are you asking me about? I'm like, well, you know, you worked at PSG and, and you just answered a question about Harry Kane. So like, what? You're asking about whether Deli Alley is going to PSG. He's not the PSG manager anymore. He's never coached Deli Alley. Where is like, it is so bizarre what some of these reporters and journalists actually go and put on the plate of these these managers. It's like so I, I'm so glad that he's been reacting to some of them with this air of like what? Like he looks to the right and starts laughing when people ask that stuff. So that gave me some respect. Look, I, I respect Thomas Tuchel as a coach. I really hope he does well because in the end, I am a Chelsea fan, and I'm a Lampard fan too, right? So. Wherever he gets his next job, I wish him really well. I think a lot of us are starting to go, oh gosh, when is Terry going to come in and get this exact same treatment? Anyway, like I said, 
This is my Chelsea episode, one of my longer ones. I apologize if this bores you to tears as a non-Chelsea fan. Don't worry, I will not do this for quite some time. These isolated episodes on Just Chelsea are going to be a rare thing. I'm more interested in trying to get you more topics about football, and there's a lot more coming. So we'll get into... We'll get into some interesting things over the week. I think this is going to be a very packed weekend full of thrilling games and storylines. So keep an eye out. It's exciting to be back. Welcome to Campfire Football. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.